uh, we've been going through a series over the past little while called A Thrill of Hope, looking at the hope that Jesus brought when he came here to, uh, to this earth. Now, this hope that we, uh, that we speak about, this is not a hope like us hoping for a certain thing when we wake up tomorrow for Christmas. The hope that we have in Jesus is very, very different. The hope that we have in Jesus is an expectation of something that is to come, a, uh, an assurance of, of hope that we have in Jesus. And now we see that everything surrounding, uh, surrounding Jesus was marked by hope. Even for the thousands of years leading up to the birth of Jesus, there were people hopeful of this Messiah who was going to come. They were extremely expectant that one day this Messiah would come who was prophesied about. There was hope that came on the night that Jesus was born because this baby was Emmanuel, which means God with us. There is hope that we are able to have right now, if you are a follower of Jesus, in knowing that God works all things for the good of those who love him. But tonight what I want us to to look at just really briefly in our time together this Christmas is looking at the hope that is to come. And this is the greatest hope that surrounds the person of Jesus, which is the hope of eternity. And to speak to you about this hope tonight, I just want us to go to what is probably a really well-known passage for many of us, which is John 3, 16 and 17. Now, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to there, but we're also going to have it on the screens as well. These verses that you see up on the screen right now may be some of the most well-known and popular verses in the whole Bible. And so it might be really easy for us to just skip right past these quickly, but we can't lose sight of the significance of what is being said here in these couple of verses. So I just want to read this for us together, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, some of you might know these verses on their own, just as standalone verses. But one thing we need to understand whenever we look at anything in, in the Bible, these verses don't exist purely on their own. There is a context around, uh, around how these verses exist. And these verses are said by Jesus during his time here on earth, in particular during a conversation that he was having with a guy called Nicodemus. Now, this guy, Nicodemus, he was an exceptionally well-trained uh, Jewish uh, teacher at the time. He was uh, a rabbi and part of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling, uh, the ruling body of the Jews. Now, to get this position of being part of the Sanhedrin, part of this ruling body, he would have had to be one of the most intelligent, well-trained, capable Jewish teachers at the time. He would have been acknowledged by everyone that he saw as 
extremely intelligent. And yet in verses 1 and 2, if you have a Bible, if, you'll, if you see verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3, what you begin to see is Nicodemus comes before Jesus with no arrogance or ego in his heart, but he comes to Jesus and he calls Jesus teacher and rabbi. And it's because of all the miracles that he has seen Jesus doing and he wants to learn from him. Now, this group of Jews that Nicodemus is a part of, they were called the, the Pharisees. You might be familiar with that term. And, uh, and, uh, and Jesus uh, tells Nicodemus that to enter the kingdom of God, you need to be, uh, be born again. This is very strange for someone like Nicodemus to hear because the Pharisees had been known by relying on their good works to have a right relationship with God. And so when it comes to all the Old Testament laws, they prided themselves on saying, we are so good at keeping all of these laws. We are the ones who do the right thing. And yet... Jesus presents a new idea here for Nicodemus, for this intelligent rabbi that he would have never heard again, this concept of being born again. This is what Jesus tells to Nicodemus. Now, when we read through passages like this, we can assume that Jesus is using a metaphor, but Nicodemus is understandably pretty confused at what on earth Jesus is talking about. Being born again, what does that that mean? For us at Christmas time, we have uh, traditions that happen every single year that we're familiar with and just roll on every single year. But when I take a step back and look at some of our Christmas traditions... I have no idea why most of them exist. I actually have no idea why, in Australia, we sing about Frosty the Snowman. I have no idea. I actually don't know the background of Christmas lights or Christmas trees or fat men in red suits or why on one day in particular we feel the need to eat lots of ham or turkey. These are the things that we eat. And I don't really understand why we do these things, but it can be easy for us to just go through the motions and assume that this is normal. And yet around the world, there are different traditions that I probably find even more confusing. So for example, on the 25th of December, if you were in Japan... You don't need to do any food getting ready or cooking at all because they have KFC on Christmas. There you go, KFC on on Christmas. Other countries have different traditions that we might not be as familiar with. In Sweden, they have the Yuletide goat. In Austria, they have something that I discovered called the Krampus. I'm not going to tell you about what this is because it's one of these Christmas traditions I'm glad we don't have in Australia, but go uh, go and look it up. Feel free to to do that after our time time together. 
There is confusion when we look at certain Christmas traditions, but even when I sing certain Christmas carols, we might find some of them confusing. For example, why is there a drummer boy at the birth of Jesus? Are we sure that the birth of Jesus was definitely a silent night? Why is there a partridge in a pear tree? And the other one I really don't understand is, why do we deck the halls? I mean, when I grew up, decking something was punching something. So why are we punching the halls at Christmas time? Certain aspects of of Christmas, we take for granted and we go through the motions and we, uh, we maybe don't really understand them. And they would probably be pretty confusing if you're not familiar with any of, any of these things. But all of these things that we've just spoken about, they have different foundations, but unless they ex- are explained to us in great detail, we're simply left in confusion. And this is the situation that Nicodemus, this highly intelligent Jewish rabbi, finds himself in. He has no idea what Jesus is talking about when he says, be born again. And so he asks this fairly reasonable question. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born? I think that's a fairly reasonable question for, uh, for Nicodemus to, to ask. Now, Jesus doesn't just leave him hanging. He goes on to tell Nicodemus that he is not speaking about physical birth, being born physically again, but a spiritual birth. There is something new and different that needs to happen within our spirits for us to have eternal life. Now, even this, understandably, doesn't really make sense to Nicodemus. This is very different from what he would have understood throughout his whole life. So he keeps pushing Jesus for more. And Jesus continues to explain what he means by being born again. And he does this from verses 10 to 15. But then he really clarifies things in these verses that we have just read. What it means to be born again. What does it mean? That for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is how being born again works. This is how you receive eternal life. That because Jesus, who is the Son, came 2,000 years ago, which is what we celebrate at Christmas, He came to save the world. If you believe in Jesus, you will be born again and have eternal life. This sounds pretty basic, and easy, doesn't it? But if this is such a basic, easy truth that Jesus is teaching, 
then why was there so much pushback against the teaching of Jesus? Now, Jesus is acknowledged as probably the most influential person throughout history, but he's also one of the most controversial figures throughout history. So why is Jesus and his message so controversial for so many people? And it all has to do with what Jesus meant when he said these words... Believe in me. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Is it simply believing that Jesus existed? Now, it's well documented that there was a man who lived, a Jewish man who lived 2,000 uh, years ago named Jesus, who had significant influence in, a, uh, in an area called Galilee. Um, later on in his life, it's well documented as well, that he went to Jerusalem, caused a huge stir for many people, and generally speaking, it's accepted by most historians that this man Jesus was crucified on the cross, uh, and this is how, how he died. This is recognised by Jewish, Christian, and secular historians. This is not controversial. So is that what it means to believe in Jesus? Is it simply acknowledging he was a person who existed? Maybe this is what you believe about Jesus. Or maybe it's believing that Jesus was good. Jesus clearly had a really large following of people and although there were some of his messages that might come across as a, a little bit quirky, there were uh, a lot of good things that, uh, that many people of us would, would acknowledge uh, are good. He told people to, to love one another. He fed people. He healed people. Is this what it means to believe in Jesus? To believe that he was good. Some of you might simply believe this about Jesus. Is it believing that Jesus was true? Is it by believing what we read in the Bible about Jesus? Is it by believing in what we see in the Bible and believing them as facts? Is it by believing that he was born, lived a perfect life, died and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins? Is it believing that Jesus was who he said he was? He said that he is the way, the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father but through him. He said that he and the Father are one, acknowledging that he was fully God and fully man. Is this what it means to believe in Jesus? Just acknowledging the things that are said in the Bible as facts. Some of you... This might be what you think it means to, to believe in Jesus. Or is there something more involved in believing in Jesus? Although we do want to believe, although it does involve believing that everything that Jesus, that we see in Scripture about Jesus is true, there has to be something more than that. Because even the demons believe these things in Scripture about Jesus. Although believing Jesus is true is part of it, it is about believing through trusting. 
true belief involves action and trust is the evidence of belief. Let me give you an example. Right now, all of you in this room, and I'm guessing for most of you joining with us online, this is for you as well, all of you right now are believing in something strongly by trusting in it. Because you are sitting down, you are placing your bottom on the the seat. You are putting your weight on the seat that you are sitting on. You are trusting that it is not going to give in under your weight during the duration of our time together. The reason that you trust that this is not going to happen is because you believe that there was specifications when it was being made, you believe that there were requirements that needed to be made uh, met when the chair was made, and so you trust it when you sit on it. There is an action that comes with true belief. This is what believing in Jesus means. Believing that what he said about himself was true and then entrusting him to become your Lord and Saviour of your life through what he did in his life, his death and resurrection. And when you do that, then you are born again. Something changes in your spirit and you inherit eternal life. Often through... The, uh, often through the New Testament, um, uh, we are promised uh, our greatest hope. This is spoken about a lot through the New Testament. But sometimes the way that we've portrayed the hope of eternity hasn't necessarily felt very, uh, very hopeful. We might have thought that a hope of eternity is when we die... Um, our spirit bodies go up to heaven, we get some white robes, we play trumpets, we hang out with people who have some wings, uh, we sing along to orchestras and we join a choir. That's not really how I'm hoping to, uh, to spend my eternity, to be honest. This is not my idea of a hopeful future. <laughs> now, although some of the imagery that I just presented to you is used uh, in the Bible, it's there to communicate a picture of what eternity will look like. These are physical words that are used at times throughout Scripture to Um, portray supernatural things. And I think there's a place in, uh, in the Bible that helps us really begin to understand what eternity is going to look like, the eternity that Jesus spoke about in John 3.16. Because later on in Revelation 21 verses 1 to 5, we see what eternity will look like, which says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven... And the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Can I assure you, every single one of you, eternity is not going to be boring. When we step into eternity, if you have placed your trust in Jesus through believing in him, there will be no more suffering or pain and people from all nations will come together in the presence of God as he makes everything right. A little over a hundred years ago, a very special Christmas happened in the midst of one of the most terrible times in history. In 1914, the, uh, what was called the Great War, we know it as World War I, took place. And no one had ever seen a war take place like this in all of history. This was a, uh, a tragic time um, in, our, in our world's history. But there were glimpses of light even during, uh, even during times like this. And one time in particular was in the lead-up to Christmas on, in, uh, in 1914. Both the Allies and the Axis uh, powers began to run short of ammunition, and uh, in the lead-up to Christmas, things were slowing down a little bit. Now, a lot of these young men who were there out on the, on the battlefield, they were longing to be home with their families, and they began to sing Christmas carols, like we've been doing together tonight. And as one group from one side of the trenches began to sing Christmas carols, the other side of the trenches began to join in, and they began to sing Christmas carols together. And in the lead-up to Christmas Day on 1914, gradually more and more of these two sides began to come together in no man's land, which was the area between the trenches. They began to eat together, to sing together, to share together. There's a well-known soccer match that happened between, uh, between the Germans and the British. The Germans won two to one. There was a lot that marked this time as a moment of light amongst tragedy. This short period of time where these people from different nations, from opposing nations, came together to have community together. And I think that is a beautiful picture of what eternity looks like for us, for anyone who knows Jesus. Eternity is us coming into the presence of God and there will not be any more suffering. There will not be any more hardship. There will not be any more pain. It will stop. That is the hope that we have in, in eternity. 
We will come into the presence of God. We will be with people from all nations and all tongues and all tribes from all around the world. All people who have placed their trust in Jesus will come together. We will share together and we will sing to God together. This is the hope of eternity, the greatest hope that we are all able to have singing of God's goodness for all eternity. The thrill of hope that we have at Christmas is that Jesus came as the greatest gift that has ever been given. He came to this world to save the world. And by living the perfect life, dying for our sins and rising again victorious over sin and death, we are now given the opportunity of having eternal life in his presence. And when we believe in Jesus, we are born again, receiving eternal life, which is the greatest hope that we can have in this world. And this is why Jesus came. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we gather tonight on this Christmas Eve and gather tomorrow on Christmas Day. It is not simply enough to believe that Jesus existed or that he was good or even that he was true. You need to believe in him by trusting him as your Lord and Saviour. I'd just love to pray for us right now um, and I'd just love to, to pray for you if maybe you are, uh, something is stirring in your heart tonight and you would like to place your trust in Jesus. So let's just do that right now. Let's just pray together. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And you have come that we might have eternal life. God, help us this Christmas to celebrate with gift-giving and, uh, and sharing with one another. But more than anything, help us to celebrate the greatest gift given in all of history, in all of eternity, which was the gift of Jesus Christ given to this earth to save the world. And God, I just really pray for anyone right now who maybe has believed in Jesus through just believing that he existed or believing that he was good or believing that some facts about him were true. God, I do ask that right now by your Holy Spirit that you will move them into a place where they are believing through trusting in you, where they will be born again, where something will change in their spirits and they will understand the thrill of hope that is eternity with you. So Holy Spirit, I do ask that you will be at work in our hearts right now. For every single one of us, great God, I do ask that you will stir our hearts afresh once again, knowing how good the hope is that we have to look forward to one day. That day when there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more hardship. 
where we will just be enjoying your presence with people from all tribes, tongues, and nations. We look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.